continuing our time uh, throughout uh, this fall season and throughout much of this year, coming to this story, the story of God liberating His people, leading them into a flourishing life in the land that He had promised to them. And we have found that this is our story because of Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to join me in chapter 4 of the book of Exodus. And I'll begin reading in verse 18, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. And let me acknowledge that this is a little bit weird, uh, this passage in particular. And uh, so stick with me, we'll try to get some clarity uh, as we go along. Exodus chapter 4, verse 18. Hear now the word of God. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Then the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all of the, wor- all of the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Let's pray. Father, we join them bowing our heads in worship because of what You have done. Because You have seen our broken, rebellious state and You have visited us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we worship You and, and in a posture of worship, we come to Your Word. We come to a text Um, that in many ways disturbs us and confuses us. And we come as we worship you, asking you for help. We ask that you would help us to understand. We ask that you would help us to hear this as your word to us. And we ask that the presence of your power and power of your Holy Spirit would be at work now as we sit under your word, that we would be changed by his work. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Did you know that ants are constantly smelling each other? And I don't mean ants, uh, your mother's sister. I mean ants, the insects. 
Um, and, and they have, so they have a, a, a pair of antennae, and they are, they are constantly uh, tapping and, and sniffing each other. And the purpose of this behavior is to discern who's in and who's out. The purpose of this behavior is to know who belongs to the colony and who doesn't. And so imagine you're an ant and you're walking along and you come across another ant and so you walk up to this other individual and you each tap and sniff each other and if that other ant smells right, then you're fine and you go on your way. If they smell wrong, you fight to the death. As humans, we aren't much different. We aren't much different. We might not always use smell, but we constantly have our antenna up Asking the question, who's in? Who's out? Who belongs? And who doesn't? And we do this with large categories like ethnicity and nationality and religion. And we do it with smaller details of our lives, like decisions about clothes and entertainment choices and even food. Who's in and who's out? And often that question can lead to large-scale violence like war, and sometimes it can lead to a more subtle pain, the pain of rejection, uh, the pain of relational distance. So the question, who's in, deeply shapes how we live our lives. And that question is at the heart of these strange events at the end of Exodus chapter 4. So these verses transition Moses from the desert to Egypt. And between his departure and his arrival, God gives him a message, and then he tries to kill him. Odd, right? This is weird. This seems disjointed, random. But notice... What connects this series of events is the theme of family. The theme of family relationships. Moses with his his in-laws, Moses with his son, with his wife, with his brother, with the wider family of the people of Israel. And ultimately what this passage is about is the family relationship between God and his people. You see, as God takes Moses on this very bizarre journey, God is defining who's in and who's out. God is saying, this is who belongs to me. And so I want us to come to this text with our antenna up. And I want to ask a couple of questions. First of all, why? Why should we want to belong to God? And then second of all, how? How are we able to belong to God? So first of all, why should we want to belong? And I think the answer to that question is in the status that God gives to His people in verse 22. He says of them, You are my firstborn son. Now notice that God doesn't just generally say, You are my family. He gives them a very specific position 
within the family. And this is significant because understand that families in the ancient world, and this would have been true of, of both Israel and Egypt, these families did not work on our idea of fairness and equality. Siblings in ancient families were not equal. The firstborn male of the family got more honor, more attention, more education, and ultimately inherited the bulk of the family's property. Why? Is it just that they like firstborn males more? No, it's because in these cultures, the firstborn son of a family had the responsibility of taking care of the family when his father died. So the prosperity... And the honor of the family depended on that firstborn son, and so more resources went his way to equip him for that job. So the firstborn son stood in a place of privilege, in a position of privilege in family and in society, but add to that position of privilege the royal context of God's message through Moses to Pharaoh. He says to Pharaoh, let my firstborn go, or I will take your firstborn. And understand, the firstborn of Pharaoh would not only have inherited a measly family property inheritance. He would have inherited the most powerful empire in the world. He would have inherited a position where the people of his culture would have seen him as semi-divine. They would have seen him as part God. But God says, my people have a status higher than that. My people receive an inheritance better than that. My people represent me. They represent my kingdom, a better, a more powerful, a more meaningful kingdom than the empire of Egypt. Can you imagine how this message would have impacted the ancient Israelites? Everything about their reality said to them, you have no dignity. You have no worth. Pharaoh said to them, your only value is making bricks. And even that value isn't enough to stop me from murdering your children. Everything about Israel's reality said to them that they were less than human. They were property. They were beasts of burden. But what does God say? He says, no. You are not slaves. You are my son. You bear a title a status that has unimaginable worth and value and significance. You have a dignity that transcends the most powerful and prestigious person in all the world. And so we should want to belong to God because God says that about those who belong to Him. You see, we were made for this status. We were made for the status of firstborn son. 
The book of Genesis tells us that God created humanity in His image. And that means we were made to bear the family resemblance, to look like His character, and we were made to represent His interest in all of creation. In other words, we were made to be firstborn sons. Now sin has messed with that status, but we still long for it. We still long for it. For that, and you can see it in our longing for worth, for value, for meaning and significance for our lives. This week, I saw online, uh, you know, one of those clickbait headlines. And it was is a headline that said, "What every elementary boy needs most from his parents." Now, what was attractive? about that link. Why did I want to click it? Not because I'm looking for advice, but because I'm looking for work. What makes that work is that I am looking for something to tell me that I am significant, that my life has value and meaning. And we all share that longing. We all share that longing and what we do with it is we look to accomplishment. We look to success at work, as parents, in other relationships, as a student, uh, in social justice causes, even in religion. We go to accomplishment in all of those areas trying to dress ourselves in worthiness. But in the end, we're like the emperor with no clothes. We end up dressing ourselves with hair. Because we live life by the message, you are how many bricks you can make. We live life, if we live it that way, if we live to find significance and worth in what we are able to accomplish, we live life by the message that says your productivity determines your dignity. And if we live that life that way, it will lead us to deceived arrogance or to fearful insecurity, or both at the same time. That message enslaves us. It turns us into machines. It tells us the lie that our worth is determined by what we are able to accomplish. And in the end, it leaves us oppressed, like the children of Israel. But God is at work to say something different. God is at work to say about you, you are not a slave, you are a son. You bear a dignity and a worth that goes beyond your success or lack of it. You bear a significance that goes beyond what you are able to accomplish as a parent, as a student, as a worker, in all of your other relationships and involvements. You have a status that is higher than that, that is better than that. And that's why we should want to belong to God.
Because when we do, He says that about us. But how is that possible? Even if we want that, how do we have it? Second question, how are we able to belong to God? Well, in a word, circumcision. Right? Nothing like a good circumcision story on a Sunday morning. And the reason this story of circumcision, in verses 24 to 26, the reason it follows the message of verses 21 to 23 is that the status of sonship relies on the mark of circumcision. The status of sonship relies on the mark of circumcision. In other words, you aren't born a firstborn. You aren't born a firstborn son of God. You must be marked with that identity. You must be made into that status. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. And in that chapter, God defines His relationship with Abraham and Abraham's family. And we've talked about this relationship before and how important it is for the story of Exodus. And remember what we've said, that in Abraham's family, God is recovering the life lost by Adam's family. In Abraham's family, God is recovering the life lost by Adam's family. And so God comes and makes promises Abraham and he says to him I'm going to bless you I'm going to do all of these great things for you and in Genesis 17 God demonstrates his commitments with a ritual God does a ritual to show his intentions and his promises and his commitment to Abraham and Abraham's family and then he turns to Abraham and he says I want you to do a ritual as well as your part in this relationship I want you to do a ritual and it's the ritual of circumcision I want you to circumcise all of your baby boys. And he says, if you don't, the one who doesn't, doesn't belong to God. The one who doesn't do this will be cut off, intentional wordplay, will be cut off from my people. Which is played out in Exodus 4, right? That's what happens here. Moses has not circumcised his son, and so he is on the verge of being cut off. God is coming against him in judgment because Moses has rejected the sign of circumcision for his son. Why? Why is this so important? Think about this. Moses, we saw last week, attempts to reject the call of God. He attempts to reject the call of God. And and the text tells us that God is angry with him, but does God try to kill Moses because of it? No. But God tries to kill Moses because he didn't circumcise his son. Why is this ritual so significant? We need to think about its meaning. We need to think about the meaning of this ritual, and there are two important elements to the meaning of circumcision. First element, multiplication. Remember, what has God said to the family of Abraham? I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to multiply life 
in and through you. So, what do you do as a result of that promise? You mark the organ of reproduction. Second element, meaning of this ritual, blood. It is a bloody ritual. And remember that to recover the life lost by Adam, God is going to have to deal with the problem of the curse. He's going to have to deal with the curse that has resulted from the sin of Adam. And Abraham's family is not automatically immune from the impact of that curse. And what is the ultimate impact of that curse? It's death. So God through the symbolism of blood, teaches his people, I am dealing with the curse of sin. I am dealing with the problem of death. I am overcoming the curse so that I can renew life in and through you. It's interesting then that this story in Exodus 4 anticipates another story of blood in the book of Exodus in chapters 11 and 12. In those chapters, we see God coming against Egypt and Pharaoh in judgment. He is coming to take their firstborns so that they will release His firstborn. And in that story, is Israel, God's people, are they automatically immune from the judgment of God? No. What does He tell them to do? He says, take a lamb and you're going to roast it and eat it. And I want you to take the blood from the lamb. And I want you to apply it to the posts of your door. And the verb for putting the blood on the post, same verb. Exodus 4 uses when Zaborah takes and touches Moses with blood. God is saying, I am dealing with the problem of sin so that I can renew life in and through you. And circumcision matters because it is a response of faith. Circumcision is an expression of trust that God will do what He has promised to do. It is embracing the identity that He longs to give to His people. It is saying, yes, You will keep your promises to overcome death and renew life. And so if you want to belong to God, you need circumcision. Which raises some problems, right? Chief of which is, the New Testament says, you don't have to be circumcised. If you pay attention, it's actually a major theme in the New Testament, particularly in the letters of the Apostle Paul. He says emphatically, to belong to God, you do not have to do the physical ritual of circumcision. Why? Colossians chapter 2. Because Jesus is your circumcision. Jesus accomplished what physical circumcision could only signify and anticipate. Jesus was cut off so that you could belong. Jesus was cast out 
so that you could be brought in. Jesus, the only begotten Son of the Father, bled so that you could be called the children of God. Jesus is your circumcision. You will not belong to God in the life that comes from being in His presence apart from circumcision. You will not know that apart from Jesus and the work that He has done for you. So listen, your status with God, your status doesn't rely on your performance this past week. It doesn't rely on your performance today. It doesn't rely on your performance this coming week. Your status with God relies on your circumcision. It relies on the performance of Christ for you. So why do we expend so much of our energy and emotion trying to dress ourselves with the worthiness of our accomplishments? Why do we spend so much time and energy and emotion and effort trying to gain for ourselves a status based on our productivity? our effectiveness at life, whether it is spiritual or at work. Don't dress yourself in your worthiness. By faith, open yourself to God so that He can dress you with the worthiness of what Christ has done for you. And you know what that does? That frees us from that frenetic activity of our antenna. Always asking, who's in? Do I belong? Am I in? Am I acceptable? If we look to our circumcision, and we can live with the freedom of the answer, you're in. Because of Jesus, you are are in, and you are given an unshakable identity and an eternal inheritance because of what He has done for you, not what you can do for yourself. Exodus 4 is kind of a shocking and difficult chapter, particularly the end of it, these verses that we have just read. And we can't even deal with all the mysterious elements of this this morning. But I think the gift of a text like this, and and honestly, I was very tempted to skip over it and move to the easier portions. But the gift of a text like this is that it can shock us with the privilege of calling God Father. A text like this, if we can see it in light of what Christ has done, opens our eyes to the extent that God has gone to in order to call us His own. In order to bestow on us a status 
of worth and dignity that we cannot get for ourselves. I think sometimes we too easily talk about the love of God. So in my family, we say the phrase, I love you, often. We say it a lot, and it honestly can become kind of commonplace. But every once in a while, something happens to renew its meaning. So a couple of weeks ago, I grabbed our youngest, Sam, and I looked him in the face and I said, Sam, I love you, and for the first time ever, he looked back at me and said, I love you. (laughs) Now in that moment, that phrase had renewed meaning. And at a much more profound level, this text can do that for us will help us if we will open ourselves in faith to it to see and to know what God has done to make us His own. And it will help us to hear anew Him saying, I love you. Let's pray.